Hi, I'm Margie Nomura, and welcome to the Desert Island Dishes podcast. This is the podcast where every week I ask my guests to choose their seven Desert Island dishes. These range from finding out about the dish that most reminds them of their childhood, the best dish they've ever eaten, and of course, the last dish they would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. I hope you're all well and that you've had a lovely week. I'm so happy to tell you that this week's episode of Desert Island Dishes is brought to you in partnership with San Pellegrino, and more specifically, their Young Chef competition. San Pellegrino is a brand that has long been associated with fine dining. And as part of this, they're on a mission to nurture the future of gastronomy, which is what this competition is all about. The San Pellegrino Young Chef Competition looks to recruit the world's most talented emerging young chefs to compete on a global stage. It's open to any chef under the age of 30 who's passionate about cooking and looking to reach the next level of their career. Maybe that's you, or it might be someone you know, one of your friends, or someone you work with. It's a global competition with 50 countries competing to find the best young chef in the world. Make it through to the semi-finals in London, and you'll get the chance to cook your signature dish for a panel of acclaimed chefs. Make it through to the global final, and you'll travel to Milan to cook for the panel of esteemed seven sages, who've previously included... Massimo Baturo, Joan Rooker, and Brett Graham. Entries are only open until April the 30th, but it's really easy to apply. You just go to www.sampellegrinoyoungchef.com forward slash en forward slash application. And you just upload your CV, your signature dish, along with some photos. You've got nothing to lose by entering, so why not have a go? And you never know, you might just get the career opportunity of a lifetime to cook for some of the world's most famous chefs. There's always that one point in everyone's career when everything changed, and perhaps this could be yours. Now, without further ado, here is today's episode. My guest today is Monica Galletti. Monica is a chef, a restaurant owner, master chef, the professionals judge, and amazing hotels presenter. She's recently opened her first restaurant, Mary, with her husband. Before that, she was senior sous chef at two Michelin-starred restaurant, Le Gavroche, with Michelle Roux Jr. And importantly, she was the first woman to hold such a senior position at the restaurant. Monica has said... There's a misconception that I'm stern and grumpy, but I'm always smiling when we make MasterChef. It gets edited out. People meet me and they say, you're much nicer in real life. Welcome, Monica. (laughs) Thank you for having me. No, you're very welcome. I mean, it's much better that they say that than the other way around. I suppose so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, True. (laughs) You're horrible in real life. (laughs) But you seem so nice on screen. (laughs) So you were born in Samoa, where you lived until the age of eight, I Mm -hmm. believe. And then you moved to New Zealand. So I'm excited to hear your first Desert Island dish. And that's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. The, the, the dish that really reminds me of, of my childhood is chop suey. Um, you know, and the, the salmon way that we do it is um, the, the, the meat or, or the beef or chicken that you're having is sort of cooked off in, in soy and garlic, lots of soy and, and, and garlic. Yum. And then you have a vermicelli, just being soaked in, in water and that's chopped up. And then folded through it, you know, that's definitely, you know, the, the smells of, of my childhood. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And there's a huge Asian influence on Samoan food. Absolutely. It? Yes, yeah. there is a huge Asian influence. You know, 
we're chow mein, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, sort of things uh, that that we have there, you know, and uh, yeah, it's it's huge. So there's a lot of of a Chinese population there, you know, and it's amazing when you go there and they speak the language as well. Yeah, yeah. God, so delicious. So your childhood sounds like a really happy one, and I came across a story of you rescuing a piglet, which you kind of adopted, but then ultimately it got eaten. And you say that was sort of the moment that made you decide you wanted to be a chef. You know, I was used to cook outside with the men and that I used to love it because the food is sort of baked in these, these volcanic rocks. But yeah, uh, it was a great childhood being able to run through a plantation and then, you know, pick eggs when you wanted, pick pineapple and guavas and mangoes. I used to always get in trouble because I'd, I'd run off and, and climb the, the cocoa tree. You make chocolate, the cocoa yeah. uh, plant, you know, and I'd sit there eating this fruit until I get a sore tummy. <laughs> and I'm always getting a smack on the bum afterwards uh, with, with the flip flop. <laughs> Um, but I, oh, it was, it was just something I absolutely loved to 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 snack on. Oh my God, that sounds such an idyllic childhood. Wait, so is the piglet story not true? It is true. Oh, it is true. It is true. <laughs> Very sad one. It was so cute. You know, I was playing in a plantation like children do, and I heard this this piglet crying. So when I got one of the, the uncles who who got it, it was stuck in barbed wire. Raised it. She was beautiful. She was massive. And then one day coming back from church, all the men were out back and they were all preparing her for I just <gasps> burst into tears. Oh God, yeah, it was so heartbreaking. That's terrible. You know, needless to say, I couldn't eat pork for years after No, that. <laughs> I guess like the ultimate education in field to fork. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You know, you're growing right near the chickens are running around you. You know, um, that's, that's what you, you understood food as it was. But I really had adopted her as a, as a pet. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's quite traumatic. As it a was. Child. <laughs> and so New Zealand must have been a huge culture shock when you moved there. You say that you'd never seen so many Westerners before <laughs> and you had to wear shoes and learn a new language. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It was, it was so foreign to suddenly, you know, feel the cold, you know. Oh, hated it. I still hate it now. You know, long sleeve jumpers and turtlenecks, you know, turtlenecks back then in the yeah. 80s, <laughs> all the rave and with a bomber jacket absolutely yeah. <laughs> you know um do, do you remember were they karate shoes <laughs> um you know it was so far and then to start school uh, where you couldn't speak english you know was was quite a, a tough settling in period for myself and, and my sister my older brothers moved to mum and dad first okay we came maybe a couple of years later but i think because my brothers spoke english we picked it up quite quite quickly so how many languages do you speak three yeah, so cool. three. Yeah, no. Mum and Dad were really um, strict, in making sure that we never lost touch with with our roots and that we could always speak um, Samoan. So Sundays, um, we weren't allowed to speak English at all. That's a good rule. It was great. Yeah. And it was the quietest day of the, <laughs> the yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> Just complete silence. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and you appreciate it now. Yeah, absolutely, you do. Yeah. So you lived in Wellington mm-hmm. in New Zealand, and it was there that you trained as a chef. But before we talk about that, let's talk about the second desert island dish. And that's the first dish that you learned to cook. First dish I le- learned to cook uh, possibly was chow mein. Okay. Um, Samoan way. Um, so again, it did some, what it could be lamb or, you know, uh, chicken. Um, and we use carrots, onions, garlic, you know, broccoli. And it's all tossed. It'll finish a little bit of, of, of soy as well. You know, and I think it was it's one of those that we used to use a lot of leftover vegetables for. Mum and dad used to always grow a lot of vegetables. Well, dad mainly did the, the gardening, you know, so chow mein was, was one of the first things that I learned. And sometimes you'd add the noodles through it as well. 
now I'm getting hungry. Yeah, it's me like too. Nine thirty in the morning. <laughs> I could definitely eat that now. What, um, how old were you when you made that? Do you remember? Um, well, uh, girls learn have to learn to cook very young in our culture because normally the girls that sustain and keep the family going. Yeah, I honestly st- still say that my my brothers learned to cook because they'd starve to death if they didn't. <laughs> um, you know, but um, I think I started learning to cook um, from maybe nine ten. You know, but also spend time with mom, you know, in the kitchen and and, and that. And we also had to fend for ourselves a yeah. lot. You know, we'd come home from school. Mom and dad were both at work, you know. And is anyone else in your family a chef? No, not at all. The one and only. Uh, I think there's only room for one in our family. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've done it very well. So they must be very proud. <laughs> they are proud, you know, but you know, I've got a great family. Yeah. You came across to the UK in 97 and... The plan was to stay for a year, but you'd spent two years at Culinary College in New Zealand and then you went on to win every national cooking competition there was. Why was it that you initially came to the UK? I came as part of my training while I was competing. Um, So that was first in, in 97. So I was doing really well, found I had a knack for for competing and sort of thrived on it. So the next step was to see how it was in Europe. I competed a bit in Europe, wanted to to have a look. So is this sort of like a X Factor style cooking competition? Like, how does it? Like, no, not like, that what glamorous. is a cooking competition? No, no. Um, you know, they set a, a, a box, they call a magic ingredient box. Okay. And you have to make a three course menu in like two and a half hours. Um, in front of an audience? or is No, no, just... judges. Okay. Maybe six or seven chefs walking through, ticking the boxes and, and, and checking how you work. And it's everything from your working methods to how you deliver okay. um, the dish and you have to be on time sort of thing. So I did that um, and did it quite well. And I ended up traveling through it and representing New Zealand a lot from it and ended up in the UK to see what it was like here. And I loved it. I loved that you could access Europe so so easily. I think coming from New Zealand and completely on the other side of the world. So then I went home and saved some money and came back in 99. And that was when I applied to the GAV. Yeah. And apparently you did that just by sending in your CV. Yeah, yeah. To sent it by, I sent it into maybe eight, 10 other places. Michelle was the first to reply. So I took that one straight away because um, I was traveling throughout Europe and, and going, I think I had six months in, in Holland to work in Holland. I had three months going through France and I wanted, by the time I got back to London, I had a job ready, uh, a bit of an organizer. <laughs> yeah, what a job to come back to. I well, mean. it was a commie job, you know, it wasn't anything glamorous, um, you know, but um, I just knew that I had to get my foot in a Michelin restaurant yeah. at that age. I think I was 23 then. And, you know, it was the toughest, but the best training that I could have had as a young chef. Yeah. And he said that at the time he was literally getting dozens of emails a day and yours really stood out. Must have been a pretty good cover letter. Do you remember what it said? Um, I don't know, but I, I, I remember working very hard on my CV and always believing it had to be very brief. It was two pages, you know, and it was just solely about my career cooking thus far. You know, and they had a little blurb or paragraph at the bottom about, you know, loving to learn from from other cultures and other people about hobbies. And that was it. It was very brief and, and sort of straightforward. So, yeah. Can you tell I'm just trying to steal all your cover letter tips? <laughs> no, I think it was just the great quality paper, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you sprayed it with perfume. Probably. It smelled lovely. And the food scene in the UK has changed so much since then. What do you think have been the biggest changes? Oh, my goodness. How modern and 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 uh, the variety, yeah. uh, the quality, you know, of, so of the produce that we now get. I mean, 20 years ago, you know, buying a lamb chop in a supermarket was ridiculous. I could not believe how expensive it was, you know. And and you look at what we have now and, and you know, the support for local produce. There's been phenomenal change, you know, over the last 20 years. 
Yeah, it's so easy just to take all of those things for granted. But Hugely. Actually, I mean, farmer's me. market 20 years ago? Hell no. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So interesting, isn't it? Let's talk about the third desert island dish. And that's the best dish you've ever eaten. <gasps> oh, my goodness. You know what? It's I still dream of this dish. And I ate it as a child for the first time. And I maybe had it three times only. And it's called uh, palolo. Uh, what happens is it's uh, the, the fish uh, spawn. The, the the eggs and and the thing it's full moon okay um and the men go out in these nets and scoop it up and then uh they we cook it in coconut cream and it's just divine oh my you know goodness. and i dream about having this dish again and every time i try and get back to samoa and i'm like is it palolo season they're like no you've missed oh, it again no. <laughs> yeah. what, so how often does the season happen it's once a month <gasps> yeah once a month oh at a full moon oh yeah my God, that's yeah so exciting uh, that's no amazing. yeah you need to make a trip to go back yeah, absolutely yeah <laughs> i read an interview where you were asked about the most unusual dish you've ever eaten and you said guinea pig which definitely is unusual yes that was definitely my least favorite to date i think yeah. guinea pig i mean but it's a delicacy in in in, in south america okay. you know so completely respect that yeah um you know it's not for you yeah and also the one jars and i was pretty cold you know yeah. so, so it's almost like yeah crispy duck cross with pork okay yeah so it's Cold. yeah and then it's just these paws you know these just claws that they because they like to serve it whole oh no um fur off and everything okay, well, yeah it looks like a big that's better <laughs> i mean not selling it here but it looks like a, you know a big rat who's sort I mean, of frozen and then the moment it, you have to say fur <laughs> off as yeah, yeah 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 <laughs> well you know we have a funny attitude with food sometimes you know we say you know um feel to to, to plate and then that's what they they have you know yeah. they probably they look at us eating sheep and think, oh, you know, how could you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they probably don't. But, you know, uh, it's, it's a huge eye opener. And, yeah, they serve it with the head on. And it sort of looks like it's, it's they've captured it, you know, while it was, I don't know, <laughs> they, they, they killed it or something, <laughs> mouth wide open, teeth and that. and Almost like a taxidermy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You've got it. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you, you get through it when people ask you to eat things on TV and, and that. But was, oh, God, was that on TV that you had yeah, to do that? Yeah, you know. So you had to just like, Yeah, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you got offered the role of commie chef, which was a more junior role than you'd occupied previously. Do you think it was important to go back and learn the ropes under Michelle? Absolutely, you know, and any chef that, that wants to to learn the trade properly is is it's a it's a sacrifice in in, in your career to, to to do that. You know, it's intense, it's tough, but I think you need to go through the ropes, you know, to to get there. You know, and it's been it was an amazing journey for me as a chef, tough as hell, yeah. uh, very competitive, you know, uh, and that. But uh, I've appreciated every part of it. You were there for twelve years and becoming Le Gavroche's first female sous chef, which is incredible. You say of your early years there that you had quite a serious temper and that you were always getting into fights in the kitchen. Do you think in some ways, because you went into such a male environment, you kind of felt like you had to assert yourself like that? Possibly, but the, the guys didn't think anything of attacking okay. a woman, <laughs> you know, but the guys that, you know, I was getting into to, to, to fist fights with, you know. Um, yeah, it didn't was, matter that you were a girl. No. <laughs> but you yeah. had to stand up for yourself. Yes, and I think it was that, it was standing up for myself. I wasn't going to stand there and take it. And I think coming from a family where I have four brothers, yeah. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, three brothers, um, you know, uh, I'm used to fighting or yeah. arguing back. And they know? all played rugby, didn't they? Exactly. You know, um, so no, I wasn't going to be bullied, you know, and, and, and sort of, 
you know, I'm going to say it was, I mean, I may, I may have had two. <laughs> I'm going to say I was always, I was always getting into arguments. Yes. Okay. But again, it was, you know, stick it up for myself. Yeah. Because, you know, back then people would nick your equipment. <laughs> it was all for one. You had the first one in the kitchen and you set up, you know, and, and I like to get in and, and everyone's like, you know, organize yourself to get the best pans, you know, you get the best chopping board and you set yourself up. And then you go outside to get something from the outside fridge and you come back and someone's nicked your stuff, you know, and that's, you know, it's like that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so you start, being silly and, and everyone gets carried away and that that's the sort of arguments you have it's yeah. nothing serious who stole my pot yeah <laughs> <laughs> but didn't yeah. michelle used to walk around the kitchen sort of singing the rocky theme tune when he could see you were getting yes yes he did <laughs> he used to do that and it's funny and he used to call me by my um last name and even like a few years later no one else knew who the hell he was talking about he just opened off his door and you'd be like fuffy t oh. <laughs> i was like who the hell is this like that's me <laughs> He's talking to me. But you say the turning point was um, Michelle teaching you how to teach sort of more. Yeah. And that was a way that. Yeah. You, you know, and, and I think when you've gone through a certain period in time where it was that, you know, someone annoyed you and you just went off and, and, that. and then after a while, I don't know, Michelle just sort of pulled me aside and said, listen, you know, um, you don't just shout for the sake of it, you know, making a point of saying, you know, there's got to be a reason, you know, I know you're angry, well, that. But if you're not teaching a lesson at the end of it, there's no point, you know, yeah. you know, and that was one of the best things that I think I could have had taught because I think I could have gone on a different tandem and become someone very nasty, you know, and these horrible chefs that, that you hear about, um, you know, and it's just, you know, being 23, 24 as well. And it was such a tough environment to be in and to have him say that, you know, actually it's like, yeah, I, what is the point? You know, yeah. and no one feels good at shouting anyway. You just get upset and you get high blood pressure and you get yeah. sick, you know, it's like smoke more because that's what I used to do when I was angry back then, you know, it's just going to you know, have a cigarette and then what have you. Um, so it was, a, it was a good learning curve, you know, to, and also to, to become calmer uh, and assert yourself in, in a completely different manner. Yeah. yeah. These are all skills that you now bring to MasterChef as a judge. Did you ever dream of having a career that would involve television? 10 years of it already. Never, never. Has it know, really been that it's long? It's been 10 years. It's my 11th year this year. But, you know, um, never planned to be on, on, on any television at all. My sole focus, you know, was the kitchen and still is, you know, and didn't even think twice. But when that happened... You know, it was only meant to be like a 15 minute stint and here we are 10 years later, but it's only because it's something I believe in. I don't do a lot of other television and I'm quite picky on what I, I do. So MasterChef, you know, discovering these great talents is so exciting, yeah. you know, and seeing them really take off when they become so confident. It's just a great thing to be a part of, you know, and to sort of nurture and guide them along the way. Um, the hotel series, you know, I love to travel and learning from other cultures. Um, and that's what appeals to me. Uh, it's a bonus. We get to visit these amazing hotels, but the people and the stories behind them have been amazing. And of course, working with Giles has, has, has been a blast. It is so funny. I think it's the best travel buddy I could have hoped for. Yeah. yeah. And all you're right. All of those things that you do, they only add to your own knowledge. Of knowledge absolutely yeah. of the world and of food and of different cultures. I think I'm very blessed to be able to do that. Yeah. So exciting. Okay. The fourth desert island dish. What is your favorite sandwich? Favorite sandwich? Oh, very easy. Honestly, uh, pastrami pickle mustard on rye. Ooh, oh, yes. Yeah. Sounds really yeah, good. Absolutely. Is that something that you'd make a lot at home? Yeah. 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 I have the, you know, the massive uh, pickles, the gherkin jars. 
Honestly, we go through so many of them. I recycle the, the pickling juice to the restaurant. Ooh, good idea. <laughs> yeah, those are so good. They're great, they? aren't they? Yeah. yeah, delicious. So on MasterChef, I always get so scared watching the skills test. Because, Me too. Yeah, do you? Because sometimes you can just see that people do know what they're doing, but it's like in that moment in front of you and they're under the spotlight, they just forget. That would totally happen to me. Obviously, you're a chef at the top of their game, working in the best of the best restaurants. And there are many different types of restaurants and levels of chef. But have there been any tests that you've set out that you've actually been quite shocked that working chefs don't know how to do? Yes. Um, for me, are the basic skills, the filleting and in butchering, some veg prep as well. The other things that, that, that do sort of surprise myself uh, and Marcus when, when we see that happening. But it also depends on the type of restaurants that chefs are working in due to, to cost. And uh, a lot of restaurants uh, possibly get their fish in pre-filleted, okay. you know, um, the meat is butchered for them or they don't have the, the manpower to teach and to train that uh, in, the, in their kitchen. Uh, whereas for me, it's essential skill, you know, that I like to pass on to my staff. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And interesting that you, you get nervous when you're watching it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some people that you feel more scared for than others. But. Yeah, especially when they're using sharp knives and trying to open oysters and, 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 and scallops with, you know, sharp knives, then we're allowed to intervene. Then, okay. we're, then we're allowed to speak. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, sometimes you can see like you and Greg, you're not talking, you're letting them concentrate, but then sometimes there's like a little bit of chat happening and you can see you're sort of trying to yeah. set them at ease. We, we do try to, 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 to get them to relax, but the skills test is the first time that they've ever walked into the yeah. kitchen. So they're nervous as heck. You know, they've been waiting, goodness how long in the back room. Some of them wait, you know, two, three hours and they're trying to guess what it is we're going yeah. to give them. <laughs> and they get there and it's almost a, a rabbits in the headlights moment that don't realize there's like five cameras uh, watching their every move, maybe 10 people just staring at them. It's a horrible thing to walk yeah, into, you so know. Stressful. So when they do come in and we say, listen, just try and treat it like your own kitchen. You know, they don't see that on television. We say, you know, this is there in the drawer. You've got these. You know, if you've got any questions, just ask, you know, towels are there, the ovens are on. Have you used induction before? You know, so we give them a little brief, okay. before, you know, but they still get so nervous and I don't blame them. No. But you know what? Nothing is as nerve wracking as that first test because after that they start to settle and they get used to it they get used to the cameras they start to to talk to the cameraman and the soundies and they start to relax a bit more yeah, yeah. so almost it's like they're thrown in the deep end <coughs> and then it's going to get better that's it yeah <laughs> so i always feel very sexist asking women about juggling careers and motherhood but i do know that it's something you've talked about quite a lot how difficult has it been to juggle this enormously successful career with also being a mother Really tough. And, and for me, it's because my husband and I don't have any family support here. I found it really hard to, to step away from my career. And I tried, you know, I thought, okay, uh, I want to focus just on my daughter. Maybe I could do something, work in a gastro pub or, but I couldn't, uh, I wanted to stay in Michelin standard restaurant. So, I mean, my daughter started nursery, she was nine months old, you know, and it was so hard to, to stop that. And, you know, I, I went back to, to the Gavosh, I mean, yeah, I went back part-time and I was doing something at 40, 45 hours. I mean, yeah, that's a part-time. That's part-time, <laughs> yeah. you know, for me. And that's part-time in the high end of the industry, you know, um, which is where I wanted to be. But well, between my husband and I, we managed to balance it. He'd have an evening with her, you know. So I think at the most I was doing maybe two, three evenings in, in the week and the rest of the time with that was with her. And I thought that was tough. But opening Mary was when it really sort of tested our family because then 
my little girl wasn't seeing either of us. You know, I think I went four months without an evening off and she'd be calling me during service, you know, 8, 9 p.m. crying, saying, Mommy, I miss you so much. Oh. I haven't seen you in four days, you know. Oh, um, and oh. I'm just like, look, baby, it's not forever, you know. And I think it was letting her know that we were going through this really tough time together and I was hurting and her daddy was hurting, but we had this amazing project. The restaurant was ours, you know, and in about, you know, three, four months, we were going to have time together and we just had to get through it. So we finally employed a nanny when we opened the restaurant, you know, it was just really hard for me as a mom uh, to let go. We had to do it. We couldn't, I could not manage to run a restaurant, Mm -hmm. open a restaurant, do a television career and have a, a child. I had to get help. Yeah, you can't do everything. Yeah. I mean, that was fab. What was really hard, again, as a mother, realizing that my daughter became more independent without me. You know, uh, we always read stories together and then she didn't need me anymore to read to her. That really hurt. But at the same time, it felt good that she was okay without me. So I think as a, as a parent, you're always guilty of, of not doing enough. You know, yeah. even now I managed to get a couple of evenings with her. And when I am with her, I think, gosh, you know, she's, she's 12 now and she's great company. And I love talking with her. I wish I had the kind of career where I could be home more evenings with her. Cause you know, you only have them for a few more years before she's off on her own, you know, cause I know I certainly was. And if she's has any half of my genes, yeah. my husband's, you know, <laughs> she's going to be off around the world. And, and um, you know, so I think, you know, we have our children for such a limited time. My, I grew up with my mother working so hard to provide for myself and my siblings and watched her go without so we could have food, you know, and had many evenings when she wasn't home because she was a, a nurse who worked in the evenings, okay. you know, and she'd, you know, she'd do graveyard shifts. She was always tired or she'd be in bed when we get up for school, you know. So I grew up missing mom a lot and I, you know, I didn't want to have that for my daughter, but we had to go through it. You know, the restaurant's now two years old, you know, we manage evenings off. I think the only th- time it gets even uh, it gets tough still is when I'm filming because then uh, I get off at seven in the morning to go filming. And then I try and get back to the, to the restaurant um, for 7 p.m. for the evening services, you know, Monica, and then try and balance. How do you do this? You are superwoman. Well, no, I think you just tell yourself it's not forever. No, no, it's a short period of time. And the rewards of that little sacrifice or that sacrifice benefits us as a family and it benefits the business as yeah. well, you know, um, and we get amazing people coming through here who've seen shows from, you know, the MasterChef to, to the, the hotel series, the amount of overseas customers I get just from that, you know, so the, the, there is a benefit to it. It's all for a bigger purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hope she grows up understanding that. Oh, yeah, she definitely will. <laughs> you say that in order to get more women in the industry, there needs to be more done to support women and enable them to balance this kind of career with having children. But what are the things that you think could change to make that easier? It's the hours, you know, it's, um, it is, you know, making, um, you know, our friendly for, for, for mothers out there, you know, because I've been through it, you know, it's being able to give them that choice of, of evenings off or allowing them to be able to do the school run. You know, if someone is committed to, to trying to, to, to balance her career and home life, then us as employers need to do as much as we can to support that. I did a talk in a, in a law firm recently, you know, and it was great. Some of the moms, they get to work from home. Yeah. You know, though I couldn't say, say, yeah, yeah, I work from home today. Just send me your, your, send me the prep. Yeah. Send me the prep on an Uber or something. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Monica, you don't By know. 11. You could be a groundbreaker. <laughs> um, let's pause there and talk about the fifth desert island dish. And that's the dish you eat the most often. The dish I eat most often 
is mum I am toast. <laughs> um, I thought you might say something like Yeah, uh, mum I am toast. <laughs> and I try not to, but I have it maybe three times a week because I love it with flashings of butter. And is this as a breakfast or is this like as a supper? Uh, breakfast and an afternoon, yeah. you know, sort of go to. If you're not hungry enough for dinner and you think, you know what, I'm just going to have some marmite on toast. Yeah. And and it sounds fine, only I have loads of butter with oh, it. Wow. Yeah. You have to. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Then <laughs> that, that's it. So. Well, so that's interesting that you're a fan of marmite. Shouldn't shouldn't you be team Vegemite or is that? <gasps> no, no. That's insulting. Oh. <laughs> Vegemite, I'll have you know, is Australian. Oh my God, I thought it was New Zealand. (laughs) Okay, let's strike that. I'll edit it out. (laughs) So let's talk about your restaurant because it's so exciting. You met your husband at Le Gavroche and he was the head sommelier. You guys, I mean, you're the ultimate power couple. Was it a really early dream of both of yours to open a restaurant together? Absolutely. Um, You know, when, when, when David and I met, you know, we got you know got talking about what we wanted to achieve in, in life what was the end goal and you know he'd always to wanted to have something and to know that I wanted the same it then became an issue of where in the world were we going to do it because he's from France I'm from the other side of the world so we said let's do it in Australia at some point um and lo and behold we're still in London yeah. <laughs> that's interesting so that yeah. was the plan yeah yeah we did look at France but David didn't want to go back to France um, so I say, you know, Australia, but we love London. We love the UK. You know, yeah. so. And obviously it must be a dream come true, but you do also say that opening a restaurant was one of the hardest things you've ever done. Absolutely. You know, it's really tested us as a, as a family also. Um, you know, I, we didn't have to do it. We had great jobs, had a great career, great career going already. But it was something that I hadn't achieved and we, it was a dream. You know, it's about ticking the box. Yeah. And I think um, I'm one of those persons that... I, don't want to go through life looking back what if you know you know why didn't we and so we took the the risk the big jump leap of faith and did it and it's been amazing you know the people we have had through have been fantastic you know wonderful and the staff that we mentor is is, we run it like a family you know we run it like a family and we have family members working here we have a mum and daughter working here in the kitchen that's cool yeah um we have our barman uh, a mixologist his dad works in the kitchen you know and i love the family feel of it um, that we have obviously you spent so much time <laughs> in restaurants how different is it actually being the overall boss of things like has that changed how different is that no, because we've come from very senior roles and, yeah. and very responsible for, for, for staff. Um, Does it feel different just knowing that you know, even though you were really senior before, completely the buck stops with Absolutely. You? The buck stops with us. You know, um, issue of the florist, I'll get on the phone and sort it if David's busy, you know, um, sort of thing. Something breaks in the kitchen. We're the ones that need to, to you know, so everything. Um, you count the cost of every breakage, you know count the cost of every uh no-show reservation you know mm. that, that that you have or you know um so it's 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 been amazing but you know it's a business and you need to remember that you know so you've got to be quite tight on the books and and on the reins and then everything there's no you know wastage is, is is a huge thing that i'm on top of yeah yeah it's sort of obviously something that you're completely passionate about but you can't look at it as a passion project it's absolutely a, it's a yeah yeah absolutely you know but it's everything you know um and it, and you know respecting the space and, and everyone's workspace you know for example the kitchen porter the way he cleans up 
I tell off the guys who just dump food there without scraping off. I say, because then he's got to do it for you. You know, that's a job that he has to do because you don't, you know, you're too lazy to. It's about respecting everyone, everyone who has a job. Yeah, completely. And the name, Mary, yeah. you named it after your mother. Yes, named it after mom. Uh, I think it's a great ode to her, the woman yeah. that meant the most to me. And I left um, New Zealand to achieve this goal. I left all my family behind, you know, to achieve something which I hadn't done. Life got good and I think I got very comfortable. And then mom got very ill and I, um, you know, in the last few years. And I just thought, what are you doing? Well, you know, wake up, you know, you, you left her to come and do something. She hasn't seen it, you know, come to fruition, get going. And, you know, and that was sort of the kick up the backside that I needed to, to, to get on with it. What an know. amazing tribute. Oh, well, I think so. You know, yeah. and, um, I just think, you know, she worked so much and so hard and gave up so much in her career for us. I remember her telling me that, you know, you know, baby, you should travel. I always wanted to travel, but I had you kids and you're my first and foremost you know i give everything for you kids but i want you to live your life and i think it was mom that always pushed me to do that she was always on the other end of the phone and i just feel like you know naming it after her every person that walks through this restaurant knows her name yeah you know it's amazing that's really lovely we're on to the sixth desert island dish and that's your go-to dinner party dish although do you have do you ever have time to throw dinner parties no but i do have my close friends that come over okay. so I, I you know then they all got sweet too so something like a tata you know it's really easy you know fruit apple or pear with a pastry and that you know always goes down well a nice sort of tata that we do would you just skip the main course altogether and just go straight <laughs> if they had my daughter had away yeah, yeah absolutely i mean I, i'd be on board with um that. no but you know um i make uh, my own sourdough at home as well as, as here at the restaurant so fresh sourdough you know um and then we'll have something like a crab and avocado salad you know nice oh, and easy and delicious yeah. Bit of Tabasco sauce through that, yeah, yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Just keep it nice and simple. Absolutely, beautiful olive oil to go with it. Yeah, yeah. People make it too complicated. Absolutely, don't confuse, don't stress yourself out. Yeah, yeah. So we have a cookbook corner on desert island dishes, and I wondered, what's your most treasured cookbook? Most treasured cookbook. You know, I I love. I have a huge collection of cookbooks. I think my most treasured that I do go to even now and then to double check things is the Larousse. I think any chef would have a copy of the LaRouche. But then my favorite uh, chef's cookbook at the moment is Daniel Clifford's. Um, and, and it's his story of when he first opened and then all the, the, the dilemmas that he went through. Oh, I could relate to that. Yeah. It's just uh, <laughs> beautifully put together. Yeah. That's a good recommendation. I haven't got that one. Okay, we're on to the final seventh desert island dish. And that's the last dish you would choose to eat before being cast off to the desert island. So easy. A huge seafood platter. Ooh. Yeah oysters and lobster and crab but then if you're going on being cast on a sea onto a, onto an island and be surrounded by it then you gotta learn to fish well yeah, that's, that's a whole other <laughs> yeah. skill that we don't want to get stressed about which country would you have your seafood platter in possibly new zealand <laughs> uh you know we have beautiful seafood in new zealand or the south of france mm. yeah and would you have a pudding if i had a pudding it would probably like a really intense rich sort of chocolate cake yeah monica those are your desert island dishes thank you so much (laughs) thank you (laughs) so there we have it another delicious day of desert island dishes don't forget that you can rate review and subscribe to the podcast on itunes and it really does make such a difference it boosts the show in the charts and helps others to find it which is great and means that i can keep bringing it to you each week If you don't already, come follow me on Instagram at Margie Nomura. 
and you can sign up for the newsletter and find a whole host of different recipes at desertislanddishes.co. And I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.